Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Saturday night edition of the pod. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to maintain this level of enthusiasm. It's going to be a little shorter show tonight just because it wasn't really that interesting of a game Cleveland came out like I think a, a lot of us expected 116 to 86 a 30 point blot Dan Feldman actually had interesting stat that the last five 30 point blots in the playoffs have all involved Cleveland uh, and a bunch of them involved Cleveland and Boston uh, interestingly enough two of them in Cleveland's ledger last year in the Eastern Conference Finals so uh where should we begin here Daniel I think we should start with Cleveland just playing with greater effort. I thought you could see it in a couple of different places. One was certainly defensively they were getting back better, but also they were focusing on the defensive rebounds. And one player who I think exemplified it was George Hill. I just thought he looked more engaged in this game. He was got a little bit of juice because he was playing well and getting shots to fall early. But that improved effort was, to me, a significant part. Not the only part, but a significant part of the win. Yeah, you mentioned the transition defense. Boston got absolutely nothing in transition in this game. And when they did try to run, they weren't able to actually convert at all. You mentioned Cleveland's pressure. And they'll do this sometimes where they come out for the first three minutes of the game and pressure up. And I thought Hill did that. He even picked up full court a couple of times. I thought the bigger thing, too, was just that Cleveland, because it was 20-4 to after seven minutes of this game. And, you know, I don't think Boston ever got it below 10 after that. And so four points in the first seven minutes of the game, we've seen that Boston just is not the same team offensively on the road in these playoffs where they are now one in five. They had a 99 offensive rating coming in on the road and through the competitive portion of the game, three quarters in this one, that might be even generous calling that competitive through three quarters. Uh, They only had a 91 offensive rating and so i thought cleveland did better by not taking uh, as many mistakes taking as many mistakes that's terrible not making as many mistakes how about that uh and boston seemed to be have fewer actions they seemed to settle into iso mode a, a little bit more easily i thought that lou who we were critical of him going away from the offensive lineups actually going with better defensive players helped because boston was trying to iso more you know they didn't have corver and love in there together where they're really able to take advantage and then the other huge thing i thought was that lebron james set the defensive tone for this team he was so much more active and engaged we we talked during the twitter nba show about how few help blocks or even primary defensive blocks he'd had so far in this series he was there transition getting back a little bit more and far fewer of those just like no competes where whether it was his guy or not where something happens and he just kind of stands there and watches and lebron is such a tone setter for cleveland on both ends of the floor the other thing he added in which i feel like we have to mention is just the ridiculous collection of passes he ended the game with 12 assists but the highlight nature of like he made some passes through windows that were just incredible 
Oh, yeah. I mean, those two lefty passes that he made that were like an inch away from the body of the big man defender for Dunks, for Thompson, and for Larry Nance. The one where he drove down the left lane line, looked to be completely stopped, pivoted in the air, and threw it all the way back to the right wing to J.R. Smith for a three. And Smith actually making some shots certainly was helpful to the Cavaliers in this game. I didn't think that he was... You know, his looks were so amazing all the time, but he, he actually made some, which was good. Um, and, and then defensively, to go back to that, I mean, I'm not sure whether it was LeBron feeling like, hey, I got to get everyone else involved early. You know, I'm going to need more help. I got to involve them. Or whether it was a concerted strategy to say, hey, you know what? We're going to try and get love in the post. We're going to try and get George Hill, Kevin Love, pick and rolls, and even like get J.R. Smith coming off some screens. And to let LeBron save a little bit more energy early to then defend more i mean he there's a number of plays that i can think of that he had i mean he had one great closeout in the corner on jalen brown after he was all the way over on the other side of the floor stopping a a post-entry pass when they're fronting he had that play against al horford where he stunted towards horford faked him out of taking the shot and then knocked away his pass uh as well he had the play where he was denying marcus smart and knocked it away and ended up getting a fast break out of that there was the block of Aaron Baines off a pick and roll coverage that kind of broke down Baines tried to go in for the dunk James rejected him and all of those were probably in the first 18 minutes of the game that I'm talking about it and you would be hard pressed to come up with like even one play like that from the first couple of games and so I I think for Cleveland the defense looked a lot better he James is the tone setter on that and the offensive contributions they got from the likes of Hill, Love, Early, Smith uh, helped a lot in allowing him to exert that level of energy necessary on defense, which, of course, we've been critical of in the first two games. There were also some strange rotational decisions from Brad Stevens, most notably that in the early portion of the game, it seemed like he wanted to play anybody but Ojale, and that included Garrison Yabusele, who was not providing much value. He just, there, there isn't really a a reason to have him out there. He's not agile enough to switch. He doesn't provide much offensively, and then he's not a good help defender. And yet he got first quarter minutes, and yes, Boston was technically plus two in those minutes, but that was not because of Yabusele, and that's, again, why plus minus is a weird stat. And also, yeah, I don't know why you would ever use him over Ojale. Like, what advantage does he bring over Ojale? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big concern, and Ojale, I mean, especially in a series against LeBron James, I mean, he has the strength to, to make that work in a, at a higher clip. I mean, he's certainly Ojale's not perfect, but he can, he can help out. And then I thought they went too much to Greg Monroe. The Cavs looked to be licking their chops offensively when Monroe was on the floor, and Kevin Love actually beat him on a straight line drive and forced Horford to help. I can't remember. I think Love finished over it and didn't get the end one. But Monroe has a place maybe in this series, but he's not kind of an early, he's more of a last resort than a first resort. Yeah, I, I thought that. I- for Monroe, it's something that Stevens will try to do sometimes when they just can't score um, to try and get some sort of a presence on the post and on the boards. The boards were a major problem for Boston as well. They gave up 40% offensive rebounds through the competitive portion of this game when you count also the team offensive rebounds, which I think there were three of early on. Um couple other just examples of the effort plays that the Cavs made that they weren't making in the first two games. J.R. Smith went into a pretty dumb iso move spin move tried to go off the glass on tatum didn't really create any separation falls down under the basket and then he actually sprints back 
hard and picks up Marcus Smart. I also, I mean, it would be hard pressed to imagine or, or recall a play where a Boston ball handler actually pushed it without just having like a clear two on one or something like that. Uh, we mentioned the offensive rebounds. I thought another thing too, which is actually I think a good sign for Cleveland, is they got called for a couple of holdings fouls off the ball, like just on guys who were trying to come off of screens and shoot. And and that's actually a positive indicator for them. They're actually like trying to make guys' lives difficult. And you know that's the sort, yeah. sort of intensity this team played with. You know back in the their glory days in the 2016 finals. Well, that ties in with something that has been a point of discussion at various moments, and I, I think I've made this a couple of times with Jokic, is that there are people who believe that not fouling is basically always a virtue on defense, but there are certain teams, and Cleveland in the regular season was one of them, where, to me, not fouling was just a symptom of them being so far away from the action that they weren't doing anything. So just getting into guys is is a positive indicator at for where they are, though for other teams, of course, it wouldn't be. Yeah, and I, mean, I would be very interested to see what the correlation is between off-ball fouls and defense. I would imagine there might even be a positive correlation with that, just because the referees aren't going to call that every single time. Now, Boston did get a slightly rough whistle, although it was really more in the by the third quarter when the game was totally out of reach already that that became more of an issue but Jalen Brown had a couple of fouls early finished with five it was odd to me though that he only played 12 first half minutes he only had two in the first half as well I mean he was their best player I thought in the first two games giving them some offensive pace pushing the ball uh but when Jalen Brown only has two rebounds it's hard for him to be a grab and go guy Boston as a team only 16 assists which uh and it just seemed like because the Cavaliers weren't making as many mistakes and then they Boston also just wasn't able to get the matchup advantages that they had had earlier, right? Remember in game one, it was Horford really going at uh, Kevin Love. Horford only had four shot attempts in this game, ended up playing 30 minutes. So not too many after 22 in the first half, which I, I actually thought that was good from Stevens to play him more to try to get back into it early and then just kind of punt when they clearly weren't going to get back into it in the third quarter. Um, but so Horford, you know, he tried to post up Tristan Thompson once, didn't really get anywhere uh Corver wasn't really stuck on either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum that much that was a matchup that they really went after when Corver was in the starting lineup early so uh, all these things are great for Cleveland and you certainly you can point to well 17 at 34 from three-point range and Corver was four for four Smith three for four Hill ended up three of nine but he hit a, a bunch early. I think he had three threes in the first quarter uh, to really help them get out to that lead. LeBron was three of three from three-point range as well. He had an incredibly efficient 27 points uh, on only 17 shooting possessions, eight of 10 from the foul line, had those 12 assists, two steals, two blocks. But so 17 of 34 was good, but also the number of three-point attempts they were getting up 11 in the first quarter was big. And then Boston, they only, I think, had four three-point attempts in the first quarter Correct. and finished six out of 22 and boston sure six out of 22 is worse than you'd expect them to do and i think it should also be noted though that cleveland did a much better job contesting their threes the, the looks that boston was getting in this game from long distance overall were were worse and you know they had a couple open ones as you would always expect horford had a had a really nice one and then they you know like marcus morris had one where they just it was on an offensive rebound i believe and they got open but i thought one of the other differentiators in this game and i i looked back on it and it's been broadly true in these playoffs is that i don't think he is the deciding factor but it is worth noting that terry rozier hasn't played well 
in any of Boston's losses so far. Yeah, and I think the the they are undefeated, of course, at home. And I think he's only had one good road game, and that was the game that they won in Game Three at, at Philly. And even in that game, they couldn't really score at all. That one was in the nineties through regulation. Let's see what else we have here. I mean, there's not, not that much to talk well, about. Well, there's one thing that I want to say. I, yeah. I think that Boston should be encouraged that Jason Tatum looked more in sorts than in Game Two. You know, he didn't swing the outcome of this game, and he hit some twos that aren't always going to fall in but he looked aggressive enough and I thought he was you know he was doing a nice job doing some of the right things offensively and Boston will need that moving forward because Cleveland's offense you know they were getting kind of hurt on both ends of the floor relative to my own expectations of this series but assuming Cleveland has their offense kind of together and that some of what Boston was doing won't happen the Celtics are going to need to score reliably at least but I would say well in order to win and that's going to require Jalen Brown playing well it's going to require Terry Rozier playing well and it's going to require Jason Tatum along with of course Al Horford yeah and maybe that's one of the adjustments for Stevens is he's got to get more offense on the floor I think to some degree that's something else we should talk about that was really intriguing about this game was that Al Horford played so many minutes in the first half he was at 20 yeah yeah I I mentioned I mentioned that briefly that they really that, that they really wanted to get him you know to try to get back into the game Mm -hmm. by playing him a lot but i would be interested to know how many minutes he played at center uh because i i didn't think that you know it's gonna be hard for them to score especially in these road games unless he is playing center but uh, and i thought that playing yabusele monroe baines uh, a lot that they uh, brad stevens kind of fell into the trap of cleveland playing a traditional center pretty much all the time as well uh, whereas like, he didn't do that in game two, but I think maybe a couple of offensive rebounds or something spooked him. And their their first sub is always to get Baines into the game for either Brown or Tatum. And again, I'm not really sure why Jalen Brown didn't play that much. I didn't see him making any major mistakes. Uh, certainly he wasn't as big a part of the bad shot brigade as uh, you know guys like Smart, Morris, Terry Rozier were. I mean, those guys were taking some tough ones and, and it wasn't like end of the clock either you know I think that was another thing that they just didn't quite have the patience and didn't run through enough actions to make these Cavs teams make mental mistakes um that that yeah. I think is one thing again Marcus Smart was two of eight in the first three quarters and I remember both of those shots they were both pull-up twos that we said on the show oh the Cavs will live with that <laughs> so that those yeah. are his only two points because he didn't get to the free throw line at all and Smart you know, if 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 the Celtics offense is going to rise or fall at certain moments with Marcus Smart, they're going to be falling more than they rise. Well, that had not actually been the case in the first two sure. games because Smart, despite not shooting particularly well, was getting into the lane and just killing them with, just, with conventional pick and roll play. And one of the things they did to eliminate that was they actually put LeBron on Smart, which was something that I had suggested in part so that LeBron could be more of a help guy. And I think that that was effective, but also because then they could switch pick and rolls with smart and horford with tristan thompson and lebron and horford still caused some issues with his pick and pop game but he only got two three-point attempts up and only had four assists as well you know he wasn't really operating at the elbows as much as he normally does they did a pretty good job they even were bringing another guy over on those pick and pops when they were playing it conventionally and not switching it uh bringing another guy over to horford and so i thought that worked pretty well Another thing, just small notes here, the Cavaliers, both 
did a really nice job of flipping the angle of the screen whether it was hill or lebron as the pick and roll ball handler thompson was one of the best at this and well you'd say oh what does it matter the way they screen they're switching everything well you still have to be in position to pick the guy up on the switch and so if thompson flips the angle of the screen at the last minute lebron can get a running start and the guy who's guarding thompson can't switch onto him really quickly enough and so they got a couple of nice plays where they got penetration off of that either by hill thompson also had a couple of nice flare screens as well where they weren't guarding him like one thing we highlighted on twitter was they got a mismatch of rosier guarding lebron and then because everyone was so worried about helping thompson just sets a flare screen and they get love a wide open three i think it is either love or jr i can't remember on the, on the right wing so uh also a couple other notes here larry nance played really well in this game he had three steals brought some energy even though he, he clearly doesn't look like he's 100 percent in terms of his uh leaping ability i think that hamstring is still bothering him like he's not just like crushing monster dunks even when he gets in position for a dunk uh Jordan Clarkson got to shoot 11 times, mostly in garbage time. That was great for him. Uh, Hood was totally out of the rotation. Again, they did go with Clarkson some as the backup point guard, and I thought Boston didn't do quite as good of a job of attacking him on you know back screens. He didn't have any major defensive breakgrounds. Um, back cuts and back screens being set by his man were the big problem that he had in game two. So he at least avoided killing the Cavs, even though uh, you know I wouldn't say he had a good game necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was. I would agree with that. And one stat that I've been keeping an eye on this entire series is Boston's half-court offense. They were over a point per possession in the first two games, significantly over. I think they were around 1.1 in both those games. 0. 0.753 in game three. That's bad. Yeah, and so I would expect that to get better, but striking that balance also getting out and transition when they can and when Cleveland doesn't turn the ball over that much I think they had 11 turnovers in the first three quarters they were actually equal in that and Cleveland's making a lot more of their shots it's harder to run on them well so where do we see the series now you know this is the first time it's kind of looked the way I think you and I expected it to look just Boston is such a weird home road disparity it's really like a completely different team and it Oddly, it's more offensively, it seems like, sometimes uh, than defensively. Usually you'd think that defensively and in the effort categories. Now, maybe part of that is just, you know, Cleveland is playing harder at home, right? Uh, Which they certainly did in this game. But this has the feel to me. Normally you'd say, hey, you know what? If Boston loses game four, it doesn't matter. But because they're still, you know, going home 2-2, still historically a massive favorite. But man, I mean, if you're Boston... How good are you feeling after you just lost two in a row to LeBron James and you're coming back home for a game five? I mean, maybe in a, you almost might feel better if you get to a game seven. But, you know, I, I think if it gets to be 2-2, it's at least a 50-50 series in my mind. If not, Cleveland actually being fair, we'll see what the nature of this next game is. And obviously you don't want to write in that Cleveland is automatically going to win this next game. But this is actually, it was also interesting too, Danny. We have talked about a lot how Boston, and we even said it on the show, hey, watch out, Boston is really hard to blow out. Like, they keep fighting. They're able to make these amazing comebacks. We saw it in the Bucks series. We saw it in the Sixers series. We saw it all season long, no matter who they had in the lineup. Uh, but they they really just never even got back into contact. Like This game was over in, like, you know, end of the second quarter at best for Boston. I think a big part of that is just that they don't have the offensive firepower 
right now. And they were able to come back like on the Sixers because they could use defense. But Cleveland is a different type of team to come back against because they're going to make a fair portion of shots, at least in Cleveland. And I think this series is going to come down to game five. Like you, I will not discount the possibility that Boston wins. But what is notable is that in all three games of the series, the team that that was the better team on that night won pretty cleanly. And, you know, there's reason to believe that that'll be Cleveland in game four. doesn't have to be. And, you know, game five is, is going to be a challenge for them. I mean, there there's no aura or fear of the Garden for Cleveland. I mean, they've won there before it, and they have LeBron James. So I think Boston's going to have to pull out. They're going to have to pull out two really good efforts on both ends of the floor in order to win this series. They absolutely can. They were the better team in a majority of this series so far, but that precedent is complicated in terms of how we project this series moving forward. A couple of small news items to, to get to. Uh, John Gambador, who's probably the local guy who's breaking the most news about the Suns at this point with uh, Paul Coro not covering the, the team anymore. He's a, a radio host in Phoenix. He basically says the Suns 100% are going to take DeAndre Ayton. Interesting to see whether that actually holds or not, but uh, he's... I haven't known him to be wrong about the Suns necessarily. Uh, certainly, you know, they're going to do their due diligence and all that, blah, blah, But uh, with the Kokoshkov, uh, everyone is assuming that he's going to be lobbying for Doncic. But uh, DeAndre, with the as the local product who the Suns are certainly very familiar with, and of course, uh, they have a need at center, although I would uh, certainly caution against considering that. With the number one pick, uh, and in Washington, Jason Smith picked up his 4.45 million dollar player option which no one could see coming 5.45 oh i'm sorry wow i was i was more concentrating yeah. on uh, that, the intonation than the that, facts I'm that afraid. million that, that, it, it, that it million could, dollars a, matters to ownership to be damn sure yeah well it, it could have been uh you know a 1.45 million dollar player option and you probably would have picked it up frankly uh after playing very very little this and that, season and although, that, although and they actually got their money's worth out of him uh, yeah, they got their money's worth out of him two years ago. Yeah, they ago. did. And the other piece of news I think we can discuss is just, I don't think there's a lot that we need to talk about it, but the awards finalists came out. And the only real intrigue there was, I was wondering who, because they picked three people for the six awards they announced. And the last MVP spot, we expected Harden and LeBron to get two. It ended up going to Anthony Davis over Giannis. I had Giannis third. I don't know if you did. I think you did. Yeah, I can't recall at this point. And then... We expected it, but Dwayne Casey being a finalist despite not having a head coaching job right now. Yeah, well, I'd like to congratulate him on that, much as the Toronto Raptors Twitter account did <laughs> in what I'm guessing was probably a scheduled tweet uh, because they knew at least who was going to be uh, a finalist long before. And then uh, gambling may be legal, which uh, will be interesting. Um, I don't have a ton to say on that. I'm not really that interested in it other than as it may affect the salary cap, but it's not going to be such a titanic amount that we can expect some huge bump like we saw with the new tv contract uh in the summer of 2016 there is still which no one has an explanation for like windhorse wrote a long piece about this and he's thinking that maybe some amount of money from the gambling which the, the league has wanted one percent of the take now they are have gotten a little more reasonable with 0.25 percent although it's still pretty much a blatant cash grab to do that but windhorse said maybe because that $7 million, $6 million cap increase for the summer of 2019 is based on projected gambling revenues. But that seems awfully specious to have that as the reason for such a big increase. We still don't really know 
what that might be um and i think that's probably gonna do it for today we uh do not have a sponsor I'll, today, I'll pro- so you're getting i'll promote a couple yeah. of things so if yeah. you haven't listened to it yet my podcast with Sirit sohi on real gm radio is out there i also wrote a piece Something actually was a hearkening back to the, my early days at The Athletic. Uh, I went through the video of all 15 Warriors turnovers in Game 2 and explained kind of how and why they happened. In the, and I thought it actually told a lot of the story of Game 2 with Chris Paul often helping off of, you know, helping off of non-shooters and, and a lot of those different elements that came came into it and the, the, the turnovers there. And then I think I've had like four off-season previews come out for The Athletic. Suns, Knicks, Spurs... And I think one other one. So those are all available there. There's now a landing page if you go on any single one of them at the bottom going through. And I think we're somewhere around halfway now with those. So so that'll all be coming out. And I'm excited for game three of the Western Conference Finals tomorrow. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, we will be back tomorrow night a little bit later on because we'll be at the game. So we got to come home and do the pod. But we're looking forward to that. And also... uh we're going to have more stuff on our Patreon, too. I guess we can have that be our sponsor, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. If you're still listening by this point and you want to get salary sheets, which are going to be massive, they're a great companion to our team previews. And also, obviously, we're going to be updating them in as close to real time as we possibly can, as close to real time as anyone that I know can does, at least, during the off season. once we get there. So thanks so much for listening. Sorry for the short episode, but... It was a short game, <laughs> so we'll be back tomorrow night. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.